So uh, I was asked to say a few words about uh, reminiscence and uh, assessment, I guess, of Mori uh, Virabi Rav Lichtenstein Zatzal. Um, it's it's uh, you know difficult to be in Yeshivat uh, Haratzion, you know, and not uh, reflect upon uh, Rav Lichtenstein's um, persona and his legacy. And I'm happy to share um, some impressions, of course. Um, and uh, if there's time, I'm happy to also open up the questions, whether about that or other things. We'll try to do that. We have till what time? 7.15? It's Marv, yeah. 7.15 is Marv upstairs? In the we can dive in here. No. Like, 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 good, like, in like old times, like right? Like old times. Yeah, we'll do Hei for Marv. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm happy to do that, as I say. And um, I think that, you know, uh, Rob Lichtenstein would, um, you know, maybe this, is, this says it all already, he would be very unhappy with me, um, you know, if uh, I just, you know, broke right into, you know, to the topic, you know, to speak about him. Um, I think on two levels, as he would have said it. Number one, um, on a personal level, when uh, Lichtenstein celebrated some uh, um, birthdays and anniversaries, um, the yeshiva, the Shabbat Haaretzion, in other words, um, uh, made different events. Um, in New York um, to commemorate that, and they were very kind to ask me, you know, to come and to contribute and to say shiurim, a shiurim in, you know, uh, honor of him in that time, which, as I say, I was very privileged to do. And uh, he knew about it in advance, and he said to me, you know, um, I heard that you're coming to give a shir, and he approved it, obviously. And he said, but, you know, you know, try not to say too much about me personally. That was a very humble person, a part of his persona. Um, why you also did uh, an honor in his behalf, and I was able to give a shear. I got the same instructions. Of course, I mostly ignored them, but um, the fact that the instructions were given were not. It was not perfunctory. Um, but I think that uh, the second element um, is related to the first element, and that is that um, if one wanted to characterize Rabbi Lichtenstein's um, uh, greatness, uh, one of the things that one would have to emphasize was his substantiveness um, and the fact that he um, uh, always um, framed, you know, whatever he did um, in, a, uh, in a context of substance, of token. So um, the idea that one would just like, you know, break into an assessment or reminiscences um, is something I think that uh, was antithetical to um, part of his legacy and part of his persona. I try very much, I strive um, to be consistent um, as a very loyal um, Talmud and one who feels a tremendous uh, sense of Akar Satov for um, all that I benefited and for the relationship that I have and in my mind continue to have. Sivsosov Dovos Bekever, Dmus Dupno, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so I also try to always frame whatever I do um, in token. So say something about the parsha for a minute, just to frame um, the rest of it. So this week's uh, last week's parsha was parsha Svayichi. Do we have a chumash somewhere? No, do we? It's on the computer, right? Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, it's good that something is another computer. On the other, hand, I feel a little bit badly for the Torah Shabbat Peh. Oh, we had the Gemara. So just the Gemara. Um, so last week's parsha was parsha Svayichi, and um, um, that of course is the 
the end of uh, Sefer Bereshis. <coughs> and uh, one of the striking things about that parsha is, uh, again, I'm trying to spend so much time on this, but is the oscillation back and forth in the psukim between um, the Torah's description, uh, between the, rather, the last kind of legacy that is uh, conveyed or articulated by uh, Yaakov Avinu before his death, between the identification of Yaakov and Yisrael. It's very um, blatant. You can't miss it if you tried. Um, this, most people don't really focus on it so much. Um, it's back and forth, and it is often, you know, um, one pasuk, you know, uh, next to the other, or even sometimes in the same pasuk, sometimes in a very surprising way, and sometimes, as I'll explain what I think the criterion is in a minute, and sometimes... Um, in anticipated ways. But even from the very beginning, and then, it's a very shocking thing. Yaakov and Yosef had an extraordinary relationship already when he was a very young man, Ben Zukunim Hulo. Right, part of the problem was that you know uh, Yaakov uh, was not um, sufficiently strategic about his uh, special feelings to Yosef, and that triggered jealousy. Um, and yet, then that's a relationship that resumes at the end of his life. Labalaturim, I usually quote gematrias, but this is a particularly good one. And Labalaturim, although he has a lot of gematrias, on the pasuk Vayichi, on the word Vayichi says that Vayichi is 34. Is that really true? Yeah? Sounds right? I never check up on the Balatur. And 34, he says, is the amount of years that Yaakov and Yosef spent together. 17 before you know, he went uh, missing, and 17 after they were reunited. As if to say the, the chius of Yaakov was through um, his relationship with Yosef. It's a very beautiful idea. Um, the point is that he has this extraordinary relationship, and of course Yosef is the person that he's you know, um, addressing right before he dies um, to make sure, to secure the ultimate legacy of Kavura and Eretz Yisrael. And yet he binds him to this obligation, he feels he needs to bind him to this obligation, not only as Yaakov, the first two psukim are Yaakov, by Yekruvu Yisrael Lamus, by Yekro Yosef, Unnecessary, we know the Yosef is his son, right? And he says, and then you get formal language. And even that's not enough. Meaning, this already sets the tone, <coughs> Yaakov leaves the scene, you know, in two levels, or two dinim, you could say. One is as the father of children and grandchildren, and a person who had an intense relationship, you know, with that nuclear family, uh, a particularly special um, kesher with Yosef, so that his chius is through his time with Yosef, um, and at the same time, he's also Yisrael, 
and um, he has a responsibility to Klal Yisrael Dori Doros. Um, and as such, even though of course he trusts Yosef, that's the reason that he calls him. It seems from a personal vantage point, insulting, you know, to have to make a shvua benikitas chayfets and to have you know, to repeat it and to use formal, you know, language, almost like you're writing a, a lawyer's letter, you know, lo uh, aleinu, you know, to uh, in order to uh, implement this uh, this agreement between them, but he doesn't have any other choice because he knows that he has responsibilities l'dore doros to Klal Yisrael. But that's who Yaakov Avinu was. He's a person whose name got changed. But unlike Avraham Avinu, right, who was Avram and then became Avraham, and the Gemara tells us in Masechet Brachos, you're not supposed to ever call Avraham Avram again. Right, it was a clear trajectory. Um, but Yaakov, Yisrael, even when he became Yisrael, he remained Yaakov. He was both. Kisarisa Batuchal already establishes that Yaakov Avinu was multifaceted. He was Teferis. He was a multidimensional um, figure. That's part of what made him the Bechir Ha'avos. And as such, he also uh, retained, you know, his Yaakov persona alongside his Yisrael persona. And there's a lot that could be said about this. I'm not going to. I don't want to spend more time than I need to on this. But the truth is that um, this is what we find throughout the parsha. The next part of the parsha is, um, you know, uh, he brings a Ephraim and Menashe for a special bracha. Again, bincha Yosef So it's again by Yischazek Yisrael by Yeshev Alamita. Yosef. It's going back and forth, right? Uh, he's telling Vayivarachosi. He's telling the story, um, and then of course Atav Shnei Banachan Ol Adim Lechal Beeretz Mitzrayim Ad Boi Elecha Mitzrayim Aliheim. What he's going to do now is he's going to give a special bracha to Ephraim and Menashe, and he's going to expand the configuration of the Shvatim, so that they represent two Shvatim, that's a Lodori Doris legacy for Klal Yisrael. And this is being done in the name of Yisrael. Bayar Yisrael is B'nai Yosef, but then he says, he sees them and he says, Mi'ela. And Chazal say that, you know, he saw that, you know, the future progeny, you know, there might be some issues and some problems. I mean, these are his grandchildren, and, but the task in front of him is now a Klal Yisrael task, and therefore, you know, he needs to be very careful. I mean, he says, who are these people? They're my children, they're your grandchildren. And you know the story. The Yisrael persona isn't clear what should be done here. He's both grandfather and, you know, and Yisrael of the nation at the same time. Um, etc. And then, you know, and then Yosef is unhappy. Right, Yaakov gives him the bracha of Avram Avinu, right, and so on. And basically, uh, Yosef is upset. Right, 
getting aviv avi bini, right? So the akeda again, it's very personal. sim yiminchal rosho aviv. Even as a father, because in the end of the day, and this is the point I want to make, he's able to merge these two things. Vayomer yadati bini yadati gamhu yelam gamhu yigdal vulam achiv hakatan yigdal mimenu v'zaroyem belo hagoyim. And so on, etc. Meaning, on the one hand, he has these two grandchildren. His son, uh, Yosef, is telling him, you know, from a fatherly and grandfatherly point of view, what you're doing here is wrong. And his answer to him is, you know, um, I'm going to do both at the same time. Sikel at yadav. You know, and then of course you have the last one, which is in the same pasuk. And then of course this is the last uh, will and testament, his assessment of his children, which is a dual assessment. You know, it's each one of them is an individual based on the um, assessment of a father his understanding of the life that they have already lived and the characteristics that they have already exhibited. Um, but of course, what, what's important about all this, and Chazal have all these beautiful you know, comments about you know, being Megalus Akates and not being Megalus Akates, what's important about all this is <coughs> the, you know, the configuration of the Shvatim going forward. And uh, you can't divorce them from each other completely. In the end of the of the psukim, right, we're told that um, you know Yaakov says to all the children that ish kibir chasob berach osob. Basically, he um, um, he tells each one of them that you have your your bracha um, and that. You know, that bracha stands you in good stead. That's the bracha that you um, are supposed to be receiving. Um, and at the same time, he, um, uh, he tells them that the brachos that are given to each individual one of you are brachos that apply to each and every one of you. Um, that's what Chazal say, and it means the brachos are individual, and the brachos of each individual belong to the totality um, of Klai This was the unique feature of Yaakov Avinu. Um, that's why, <coughs> one of the reasons it was so, my opinion, difficult for Yosef to forgive his brothers, or, or you know, to give them a blanket, you know, mechila anyway, according to some of us, he never fully forgave them, is because um, he wasn't the Baglim on their Mechila. If you look carefully, the, the term Yisrael is absent from the Parsha, um, from, the, from, the, from the Torah, from the time that Yosef is uh, missing and Yaakov goes into a deep Avelus until he knows not only that it's Yosef is alive, but that it's the same Yosef who is alive, with one exception. The decision to send Binyamin, which is the only time when Yaakov is able to kind of extricate himself from Avelos and become a nas- take a national destiny decision, there he's talked about as Yisrael. Otherwise, the term Yisrael disappears. 
once Yaakov knows Yosef is alive, and that it's the same Yosef according to the way Chazal understood it, it's Vayichi Ruach, Patchi Ruach Yaakov, and the next Pasuk it's Vayomer Yisrael, and Yisrael's back. The phrase or the term Yisrael is a crucial, crucial term. But at the same time, as I said, Yaakov Avinu doesn't, not only doesn't disappear, but you get this constant oscillation between them. One could argue that, as I said before, What's unique about Yaakov Avinu, the Bechir Ha'avos, Teferis, Yisrael, is precisely the fact that he has this capacity right, to be Yaakov and Yisrael at the same time, to blend his personal life together with his, um, his, his legacy, destiny, national persona. Sometimes you know, he speaks in one voice and sometimes in the others, but never in a compartmentalized or, or, or contradictory or schizophrenic you know, kind of a way. It's always, he might be emphasizing this aspect, he might be emphasizing that. If you look carefully in the psukim, that's what I referred to before. Sometimes even in the parts which seem to be very personal, family-oriented, things about his individual relationships, he's still able to muster Yisrael. And sometimes the opposite. Sometimes where we would expect a full, uh, unexpurgated Yisrael, what we have, you know, surprisingly, is Yaakov. And the reason for that is because even though he's acutely aware of the obligations of those, these personas, part of his greatness is his consistency, his capacity to integrate, uh, to be Teferis, to blend in a splendid way, not only the Midos of Avraham and Yitzchak, the Chesed and the Gevura, but also the personal and the natural. National. I think it's not a coincidence that the list of those who went to Mitzrayim, which is enumerated in the end of Aichi, is repeated in the beginning of this coming week's parsha, the beginning of Shemos. Right? Uh, and again, it's not like you could forget the names so quickly. It seems superfluous. But Gracious, of course, is the safer that focuses on individuals <coughs> and the patriarchs, meaning the Avos and the Imahos. And Shemos is about the national destiny of Kal Yisrael. And the Torah's you know, repetition is a way of saying that you know, there are two dinim, but there's continuity between those two dinim. Elu Shev Shemos ben Yisrael ha-ba'im mitzrayimah. Some of the Mepharshim say that the ba'im is hoveh, it's as if they just came, even though they've been there for a while. The sense of um, the way that they're coming and the values that they bring is critical, and none more critical than the demus yukno um, of Yaakov Avinu. The concept of demus yukno, of an image that continues to inspire, is um, a concept that we know from Yaakov Avinu. Right? Uh, Chazal say that Yosef, you know, at a particularly um, critical juncture in his life, you know, where, of course, he's, you know, tempted and weighing, you know, um, a decision to do something that will have consequences for his trajectory, but it isn't just that action, it's, again, it's, it's a trajectory, it's a, a question of um, what his legacy is going to be and what kind of uh, destiny he's going to have. At that moment, Chazal tell us that it's Dmus Dukno Shal Abba, um, that appears. It's Yaakov Avinu. We're also told that Yaakov Avinu, Lomais, right, a strange statement of Chazal, but one that they say about Yaakov Avinu 
especially and particularly. Um, some of the Mepharshim say this is not a mystical idea. The idea of Yaakov Avinu Lomais is the idea that he had children and he had Talmudin. And Dumus um, Dukno, you know, continued to be influential. And therefore, of course, you know, even if he physically died, the idea is that he was a living, continuous living presence. And that is really what every one of the Chachmei Masorah is supposed to be. He's supposed to be somebody who operates on multiple levels with integrity according to the demands of those different um, requirements, but also who um, knows how to integrate those things, how to be consistent, know how to you know, weigh um, and how to um, specialize, um, but at the same time in a way that is consistent and is more you know, than, the, than the sum of its parts. And he's supposed to be somebody whose impact continues both on the smaller concentric circle of his nuclear family and the relationships going out from there that he had with individuals, but um, but also somebody who um, whose teachings and you know whose persona, including that capacity to do those kind of things, to to live that kind of shilub, um, is something that he passes on um, as well. And I think this is um, true for all chachmei masora. There aren't so many chachmei masora in every generation, what we call chachmei masora. People that we think, you know, are paradigms of integrity and Yerushalayim um, and Limerat Torah, you know, but also people whose greatness extends to their consistency and their integrity. Um, uh, people who, you know, you point to and you say, you know, not that you want to imitate them or be clones of them, but that you want to um, be inspired by, and also, you know, you want to, you know, study their persona um, in order to gain direction, you know, living in a complex world about priorities and about foundational values, um, etc. And Yeshivat Haaretzion is, uh, you know, was um, extremely um, privileged, you know, to have... Uh, you know, Mori Rabbi Ra'ar and Lichtenstein's Atzal, you know, in its midst, together with Rabbi Mital, speaking about Rabbi Lichtenstein today, but Rabbi Mital, a very wonderful person, and also somebody uh, who left a, an incredible legacy. But um, uh, these are people, Lichtenstein will focus on today, whose um, ability, you know, to be consistent, um, to be honest, you know, to juggle a lot of different um, responsibilities um, and sensibilities, you know, but to do that in a way not that you couldn't uh, disagree with now and then, that no person whose decisions or, you know, nobody is infallible except for the Rabboni Shalom, but people who um, really rise to the occasion and have that, you know, kind of um, um, special impact, you know, on their children. I was very struck at the Hespedim, at the Hespedim, the, the reactions to some of the Hespedim um, right in the aftermath, aftermath of Rav Lichtenstein, Satal's uh, Petira, 
you know, that a lot of people just told me that they were very surprised um, to hear some of the stories about how family um, centered uh, and family oriented, you know, he was. You know, this idea that you know somebody is a big tamakacham and a big masmid and uh, somebody who um, is extremely dedicated to um, to the klal, to the tzibur, and, uh, you know, has uh, almost like a legend, you know, in the extent of, of that, um, you know, effort and, and immersion and that part of his responsibility, you know, that he, uh, such a person would have time for family, um, you know, in the nitty-gritty part, you know, the... Uh, you know the parts that um, that highlight you know the the personal um, and the individual, and frankly, I was shocked that people were shocked because I think that anybody who really had any serious contact with and um, relationship with Revolutionary uh, Zatzal, you know, um, it was I think very obvious that he part of his greatness was his honoring of what I call. The concentric circles, I mean, the different relationships that people have um, with with different groups, and understanding that there's a certain integrity to that, and that you don't step, skip steps, that you know life uh, and and kedusha certainly begins with the people who are you're closest to, you know, and from there it radiates out in a very consistent manner, you know, to the other populations. It couldn't be otherwise. That that's part of the story. Uh, of Yaakov uh, and Yisrael. And this is true for Lechensin, not only in his very special relationship with his family, which I'm not going to speak about, that that's for family members to discuss, but that part of it is certainly obvious to me at all points, but also relationship with um, Talmidim. He uh, had relationship with the whole yeshiva, Yeshivat Haaretzion, and with the larger community, um, especially, uh, you know, you can call it the, uh, it's, you know, uh, the you know, Datilu Mi community of Israel and the, you know, Torumada, YU, whatever you want to call it, um, community of, uh, of America. Um, certainly he was a very prominent and very influential um, person in that community. He identified uh, very strongly uh, and unequivocally. doesn't mean he didn't have a lot of criticism, had very important and constructive criticism of those communities, um, not of their philosophy and ideology, but of um, consistent implementation um, and the aspirations, but definitely identified very strongly. But uh, as such, again, it didn't skip steps. It began with his family, and, and from there to Vishinantana Vanecha, Banecha Talmidecha, um, the people who, you know, who, who sat in, you know, in his shiurim and who uh, continued relationships with him for many years. But Lichensin Zatzal was not always the easiest person um, to approach, um, to be honest. Um, people had a, I think, you know, great deal of reverence and respect for him, uh, didn't want to really waste his time. And, you know, he wasn't a person who you know, embraced people uh, in a physical way. And, um, you know, you had, you had to push a little bit, you know, to approach him. But that was from the part of Talmidim. He himself had a great interest and, um, and was very um, approachable, 
Um, uh, we didn't want to waste his time, but he didn't consider it to be a waste of time. And uh, again, on a personal level, I can say that he was always extraordinarily generous with me whenever I asked, um, and uh, always, you know, provided opportunities and access and encouragement. And um, this is true of, of other. I know that some of the people, um, some of the Talmidim here, are uh, are are children of Talmidim, and uh, I know some of the relationships. Um, that were very warm, and that's something that was greatly respected. That's part of the the Yaakov Yisrael part of, of Chachmei Masora, that Rav Lichtenstein was um, fully um, fully committed to. In uh, assessing his his approach, um, I was asked, you know, uh, you know, when we were talking upstairs with some of the smaller groups, you know, about uh, Derech Halimud questions. Uh, it's my opinion that Rav Lichtenstein's um, accent in Derech Halimud in certain things was very much an extension of his um, personality, intellectual personality, and also his um, spiritual um, Avodos Hashem um, personality. Um, somebody asked me, uh, we were talking about uh, an a priori approach to, you know, to learning, kind of mapping out or trying to anticipate or you know, project you know where a topic might go, what the interrelationships might might be. Uh, that was something that was very singular about Rav Lichtenstein's uh, method of giving shiurim, and I think also about the way that his mind works. Um, again, he had you know the knowledge and the analytical skills, um, you know, to to be able to do that, you know, in a very extraordinary way. He had a certain vision and sweep that was a result of. Uh, many years of immersion and investment. He was an unbelievable masmid, in addition to everything else, and of course his memory and his mind. But certainly, that was certainly part of the way that he gave shear, and that was very singular, a methodological focus, and a very um, comprehensive um, focus on the broader um, sugya. And that in two senses. Number one, or three, well, uh, two senses, we'll stick to that for now. Number one, the... Um, um, fact that parallel sugyas are part of the sugya. Um, I think I've mentioned this publicly before, but <clears throat> that was the norm um, among Magide Shir, you know, of a certain advanced level. I was a little bit spoiled. I came to Shivat Haratzion at age 16. My Turabeim, you know, since the age of 16, were Rav Lechensin Zatzal and the Rav Zatzal. So um, in terms of quality and, and many other things, you know, it sometimes took me, um, you know, a while to understand that, you know, my own experience um, was not necessarily the norm, you know, even among Talmidim of other, you know, great people, of big Talmid Chachamim, I'm not talking about, um, you know, people who were exposed to more mediocre um, shiurim, but even among great Talmid Chachamim, these were very special, um, and again, it never occurred to me that everybody didn't um, include in the topic, you know, the wider topic. Uh, even starting with the more obvious element, the, the parallel sugas, or Vilkensin's Marmakomos, uh, always reflected, you know, the parallel sugas, the parallel tosis, and parallel Rishonim in other places. Um, it, it's not the norm. I found out <laughs> this out in the Olamatorah. And certainly, even more than that, um, is that he had a certain sweep again, in a certain vision of how things uh, connect together, 
that made uh, not just, you know, you can look at the Mesorah Hashas, you know, and know that the same sugya appears in Sanhedrin or parts of it in Inksuvis and in, you know, Sota and whatever, or Bavakama. And then, okay, I mean, through hard work, you can look up um, the various Mepharshim there. It takes much, much longer. You're quadrupling or quintupling, you know, your efforts. Um, and the idea that that's worth it, you know, for a more authentic and, and you know, uh, a fuller picture, which I'll get back to in a minute, is something important. But at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's just more work. And it's obvious that some of that more work, you know, has geometric uh, payoff in that, um, you know, once you've seen a certain amount about a topic, um, on the one hand, the more that you see after that, you have to weigh to use uh, a factor that of Lichtenstein himself, you know, like to reference quite often, at least in personal conversation, the law of diminishing returns. I mean, at one point, you know, it just doesn't pay to move on. But at the same time, um, because you have such a, um, you've invested so much in the, in the topic that you're positioned um, to particularly benefit from, you know, nuances and, and other, you know, per perspectives and positions that you wouldn't if you were just seeing it out of context or in a narrower fashion. That's number one. But the second one I'd say is this perspective of the relationship uh, between other topics that don't appear in the Mesorah Hashas that are a consequence of one's personal learning, but if you have a certain kind of mind, then even more so a certain kind of um, you know, intense commitment to Avodah Hashem and to Limit HaTorah, you know, that from your point of view um, constitute parallels or contrasts or foils to a topic. So I remember, you know, very early on when I, I came to Yeshiva Harat the Yeshiva was, I came in uh, the end of January, and the Yeshiva was learning uh, Hamafkit at the time, and uh, I guess the first Shirk Klali that I was here for was on Inanamakla Dabr Shilav Bali Olam, and um, I just mean, remember being very struck um, at not only the, the parallels, you know, the parallel sugyas, which are all over Shas, of course, but the parallels to other um, topics. You know, what, what is the idea of futures? What are, you know, things that you don't control but you might anticipate? What is the status of that, you know, in, in other areas of, of halacha? What it's not called necessarily in the makna dabar, you know, shaloba, liola. And that, as I say, requires a lot of knowledge, a great memory, a lot of knowledge, um, but especially um, a capacious um, kind of passion for, like, you know, leaving no stone unturned, you know, that might illuminate Dvar um, Hashem. And that, I think, is, is something that is very specifically the characteristic, um, the, where the Dera Halimud really um, informs you know, about the persona. Uh, I'll explain more in a minute. But <clears throat> a similar aspect of that, or a third aspect of that, was the pursuit, and I've spoken about this also in, in the past, of um, what I would call, you know, the more exotic um, Rishonim, um, who don't write alatar. It's harder to find them. You have to have Bikiyas in them, which also is something, the Balaitors and the Ravyas and the Ravans, you know, and the Reims. Um, and to do that, um, you know, to have control of that, again, reflects a certain immense bikiyas for sure. To have that, you know, without, you know, the response of program where you can search it, 
Um, again, everybody in this room, you know, um, you know, has grown up uh, in a learning environment where you can do that. Um, <clears throat> Rabbi Lichtenstein didn't grow up in that environment, and pro- to my knowledge, never really um, capitalized on that technology, even once it came about. Um, he didn't need to, but um, you just have to take a best step back sometimes and think about it. I've obviously thought about it. Uh, what does it mean for someone to invest so much time um, to gain mastery? Because looking it up each time or, or going through it more generally, like to know where these things are and to, and to read them through to try to... I've done this, so I can tell you that it's a lot of investment and sometimes a huge payoff, but I'll explain in a minute from a certain perspective, but it's... it's um, if if you def, if you define payoff, you know by in terms of efficiency, like how much time you're putting in and how much, uh, um, you know how many times you find an outstanding illuminating shita, you know then you might apply the rule of uh, diminishing or the law of diminishing returns. So what motivates someone to to pursue, you know that broader agenda? And I think the answer is, you know there are overlapping parts of the answer. And I don't know whether any of this is uh, um, something that Rav Lichtenstein would agree to. I certainly never asked him about it. Um, I would have been curious, actually. I can tell you from my own point of view. Um, I think, number one, that the world of brisk, um, which, of course, is the intellectual um, you know, foundation of Rav Lichtenstein's learning through the Rav, uh, most particularly, and he definitely embraced that um, fully, you know, without hesitation. But the world of brisk can, you know, be pursued in a very narrow way. Brisk focuses on an inner logic. I'm not going to discuss this fully now, but an inner logic. Um, it, it's very rigorous. Um, it's not a coincidence, you know, that a lot of brisker um, uh, distinctions kind of isolate and project, you know, a particular uh, shita or issue as a special din, a special din in that. You could say it in Yiddish, you could say it in English, you could say it in Hebrew, you know. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is, it looks like that din, but it's something separate, a separate halos, it's a, uh, et cetera. Um, you could pursue the din of br- the world of brisk, which is intellectually very challenging, I think also very, mostly very satisfying, but you could pursue it in a very narrow way. And you can end up with reconstructed uh, definitions and conclusions, but in the end of the day, um, you know, because there's a certain tendency and orientation, almost like a default orientation, to see each topic as something separate and independent, it can end up narrowing, it can have the effect of narrowing, you know, the particular theme um, and, and the totality of your picture. And I think it doesn't have to be that way, obviously. I'm an unqualified enthusiast uh, in terms of brisk. But I think that uh, for Rav Lichtenstein, one of the ways of kind of combating or negating or neutralizing that potential um, tendency um, and you know, his own orientation for breadth and for understanding the interrelationships between things you know, and making clear that we're trying to enrich our perspective, something could be a separate din, a special din, not 
just the regular or another application of some other broader topic and theme, but to understand, you know, that not just, you know, to, to solve a problem, you know, but to have, you know, that as a um, part of the constellation, you know, of your galaxy of, of ideas um, that interact with each other. And part of that was uh, expressed in this broadening of topics, um, in this idea that, you know, the sugya in front of you has parallels, and the sugya in front of you and its parallels also need to kind of fit into, you know, broader, you know, themes and ideas. And as, you know, in terms of his own um, education and his own tendencies, which were very broad, as were the rubs, I think that that is one of the ways that it expressed itself for him. Um, and that expressed itself also in kind of uh, breaking out from, Brisk typically focuses on, you know, Rambam, for very good reasons, very conducive to it, um, Balitosis, Rashi. Brisk wasn't, never has been known, um, and is still not known, you know, for a, a, a much wider, you know, treatment um, of, of the themes and of the topics. Certainly there's no value in Brisk, and even in, in the Rav's um, iteration of this, you know, of um, trying to identify, like, uh, the major or all, certainly, you know, perspectives on a topic. Um, again, the Rav was very focused on whatever he wanted to say. Whatever he wanted to say was important. Um, it could be, you know, um, broad or it could be narrow, but that, that was his focus. He certainly never felt the obligation to present the totality uh, of the views on a topic, um, etc. But Rav Lichtenstein did, and um, part of that was expressed in this broadening of the topic and putting it in context, and part of it was also in, you know, um, kind of moving away only from Rashi and Tosas and the Rambam, extending, you know, to the other Rishonim Alatar, and even more so to this whole other world, the Gaonim, the, the exotic Rishonim, looking more at the Rishalmi and the Sifrei and the Sifra, etc., but I think overlapping with this attempt to broaden, which was intellectually and spiritually consistent with his uh, orientation, was also an incredible, simply a thirst for Dvar Hashem um, that was um, unquenchable. And that, again, is, is where um, you know, the Yira part and the Limud part, the, um, you know, the passion for Avodas Hashem, you know, and the intellectual capaciousness um, really meet um, together. Um, somebody who, I think I've seen his whole life, was extraordinary as, you know, somebody who remained a Talmud and remained um, uh, fascinated, you know, um, bewitched in a way, you know, by Limudat Torah, uh, by its grandeur and by its, uh, you know, its, its sweep, and um, that expressed in his, itself in his asmada, and in his, you know, he could he could re- he could return to the same topic again and again, you know, and uh, um, you know, it found it endlessly um, stimulating. Uh, and part of that was a sense of, um, you know, anything that is devar Hashem is worth investing in and worth immersing in. Why should it be limited? you know, to the, the ones that were printed on the page, or even the ones that for objective reason, you know, constitute, let's say, the higher um, rung, you know, in the, uh, in the hierarchy 
if there are other Chachmei Mesora who have something to say about a topic, our reverence, you know, the excitement of getting a window into their thinking, um, our reverence for them as Chachmei Mesora, as well as the potential of expanding and enhancing through juxtaposition, through seeing one in light of the other, the foils and the parallels, and sometimes both at the same time. Um, all of that, you know, is uh, well worth um, well worth the effort. And therefore, it's almost like, you know, there was a certain, I think, uh, not just desire to expand, but almost like, you know, being uh, a compulsion. Uh, I don't mean it in a negative way, only in a positive way. Um, a compulsion, you know, of this, um, of this expansion. Um, if the Itur or the Ravya or the Ravan or the Ureim, you know, something interesting to say on the topic... Um, a, it might, using my terminology now, echo or ripple um, across the system in other ways. Um, and B, it, uh, it expands our, you know, achduta maskil v'hamuskal, our ability to touch the transcendence that is represented by the Shaklavataria um, of the Gemara and of the Chachmei Amasora with each other um, on a particular topic. For that reason, again, I think Rav Lechemstein was particularly um, focused on Chakravatarya's, you know, and on Havamina's. Um, his, you know, methodological focus on, you know, breaking them down, you know, into assumptions, trying to understand, you know, which component, you know, remained, you know, uh, if the Shita was rejected. Um, again, I think reflected his personal kind of intellectual style more generally, certain kind of rigor, and mathematical rigor, you know, um, as compared to the Rav, which I think was a little more free and more associative, a um, um, bit of a different orientation. But in addition to that, it goes back to what I said a second ago, this sense of these are Chachmei Mesora, you know, what every one of them thinks, you know, matters to us. We revere their perspectives, and they may be, you know, and they are by definition relevant to our lives as members of, of Kal Yisrael. And uh, for that reason, you know, what they, what they used to think or what they momentarily thought um, is important as well. It could be that, again, I'm projecting some of my own views. I'm certainly projecting my own views here, but I'm hopefully um, doing so in a way which I certainly feel um, is accurate of Lichtenstein's you know, uh, perspective as well. So I think that the derech halimud and the derech of presentation, um, which, by the way, was not only in, uh, in the Havayos Dabai of Arava, but also in his um, presentations in matters of Hashkafa, um, you know, this thoroughness and this kind of leaving no stone unturned, um, this interest in, in a wider range of, of positions. Uh, it definitely had a lot to do with respect and reverence, you know, for authority figures, but also, again, for this idea, this kind of uh, spiritual ambition, you know, of covering um, the range um, and understanding um, what that is. Also, a certain respect for to the idea that even if a position isn't normative, you know, the fact, you know, that it is, is articulated by an authority figure, you know, makes it um, important, relevant, um, because that person is relevant, and because maybe um, it constitutes um, a dimension of the topic 
um, itself. So these were some elements of Lichtenstein's uh, tremendous reverence for um, classical Tamid Chachamim, um, you know, that he knew, and uh, the ones, you know, that, you know, were before his time, um, is all consistent with this. In that sense, very classical. I don't think that that is unusual. Um, this is something that the Rav also, uh, the Rav used to say often, that, um, you know, uh, on the one hand, he felt that his grandfather, Reb Chaim, was a revolutionary figure, revolutionary thinker, that his, uh, you know, derech was uh, transformative. Um, you know, he used to say, um, you know, without Reb Chaim, you know, how could we teach, uh, you know, Torah on the highest level, you know, to, um, to audiences that were exposed, that have been exposed, you know, to very sophisticated, you know, math and science and, and other things. It's only because of Rav Chaim's uh, contribution. In a word, the Rav was, um, you know, very eloquent and uh, certainly never shied away from crediting Rav Chaim with um, a tremendous contribution. I mentioned the Rimigash earlier. Whenever the Rav would encounter a shita that he particularly um, was enamored with, you know, the, he would say, oh, the forerunner of Rav Chaim. So the Rimigash, you know, um, when he said something, which he often did, um, you know that you know was was uh, groundbreaking, was a forerunner of Reb Chaim. You know, the Ramban would say something, you know, uh, on that level, forerunner of Reb Chaim, the Ravid, Rabbeinu Tam, the Shach, the Nesivas. At the same time, the Rav used to say that anybody who doesn't understand <coughs> that Reb Chaim um, is you know is is incomprehensible and that his Contribution is is meaningless, you know, without the framework uh, of other Chachmei and Mesorah, and that what he did is implicit already in, and is also a continuation of um, everything that came before. Doesn't understand anything about Limudat Torah. Those seem to be contradictory statements. You know, the Rav would have just said that they, you know, are a little paradoxical, but mostly dialectical. And Rav Lichtenstein certainly would have said the same. Rebbe, this two minutes. Yeah. Two minutes? Until my, unless Rebbe wants to dive in here. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll bring it to an end. I was going to make a point, but we'll, we'll leave it for, for another time. So let me just conclude the way that I began. And that is the, um, uh, the Avos, you know, didn't die in that respect. You know, and certainly not Yaakov Avinu. You know, because of his extraordinary ability, you know, to meld the Yaakov and the Israel which was his integrity, um, and his rejection of compartmentalization. Um, Yaakov left children, and Yaakov and Yisrael left Talmidim, and um, therefore the Mustyukno uh, of Yosef is something that was uh, continued um, to the rest uh, of Klal Yisrael as well. That is true of all the great classical Talmidim Chachamim, the men of integrity, who continue to inspire us and who continue to teach us and uh, that is true of Moreno uh, Verabenu, of Arn Lichtenstein Zatal, um, fully as well. Thank you very much.